0: Welcome back to How to Tickle Yourself. I'm your host, Duff McDonald, along with my co-host, Joey of Rockledge. Hello. Today's guest is a new friend of the podcast. A little over a month ago, I was invited to speak at the Spirituality Mind Body Institute at Columbia University's Teachers College. Joey came with me, and we had a great time speaking to this year's cohort at SMBI. While we were there, we met Dan Tomasulo the academic director and core faculty at SMBI. But Dan isn't simply a teacher. He's also the author of a handful of best-selling books, including Learned Hopefulness, The Power of Positivity to Overcome Depression, and The Positivity Effect, both books about overcoming depression. He's also the author of American Snake Pit, a fairly harrowing book, a book about the time he spent relocating the inhabitants of Staten Island's Willowbrook State School for people with intellectual disabilities into a community-based home. Uh, it, in the end, it's uplifting, but, um, well, the title, American <laughs> <Snakebed>. <laughs> Dan Dan has a PhD in psychology, an MFA in writing, and a Master of Applied Positive Psychology, from the University of Pennsylvania, so we are fellow graduates. When he's not running schools or writing books, he edits scholarly journals about psychology. Welcome to the show, Dan. it's Great to see you again.
1: Thank you so much, Duff, Uh terrific. Terrific. Yeah, I might have to think about changing the title of American Snake Pit uh, <laughs> Downstream, you know. There's something a little <laughs> more uplifting. But the uh, spoiler alert, it turns out just fine. It turns out great. And yeah. we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a sec. the present moment, traveling town to town, the mystery of the motion, right here, right now, right here, right now, right here,
0: Let's talk a little bit, though, about uh, SMBI. Uh, It was a great experience for both of us to come down there and see what I gather are these are future teachers engaged with spiritual uh, questions and spiritual issues. Can you tell us
1: about the program? Yeah, sure. It's 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 kind of unique in uh, in terms of Colombia, probably in terms of um, um, master's degrees in in general. Uh, it was the first Ivy League program to put together a uh, program designed to have spirituality in the base of it, at at the core of it. So we get people from lots of different avenues. You know, we get um, uh, some students coming right out of their undergraduate who are very hot to follow, like neuropsych and all that, moving into the clinical realm. Uh, but we also get people who are um, shifting careers. You know, they've crushed it on Wall Street, and uh, now they... Uh, want to find something maybe with a deeper meaning or a broader meaning or apply their finances to to some other purpose. We have folks coming from law, from medicine, uh we have uh, uh lots of folks who are in a transformative or transition space in their life so when we we look we don't look for a traditional student per se they're typically going to go in, in in another vein you know the clinical program or something like that but these are students who either have a profound interest in uh, spiritual development and spiritual growth or who have had an experience in their life that they've uh, been integrating and have uh, become aware about the need for a transcendent relationship and then all the the science behind that so we we get a pretty broad range and and what-
0: and, and we we'd be remiss to not mention that we got introduced to both Dan and Uh, The Institute by our friend, Lisa Miller, who we have already interviewed on this podcast. And she's she is faculty at SMBI.
1: Yeah, she is. uh, She is a a professor at um, at at TC Columbia, uh, but she's the founder of the program. Okay. And so if you go back 10 years or so ago, we were founded under a grant to kind of find non-traditional students. And uh, obviously, uh, Dr. Miller's work is stellar. In um, uh, you know, she's published in, in all the uh, top journals, JAMA uh, and other journals about linkages she's found with uh, spiritual growth and development. It's protective factors in things like, um, uh, you know, particularly for adolescents, uh, protective factors for their uh, behaviors. uh, So suicidal thoughts, uh, conduct disorders, uh, drug and alcohol abuse. So we're finding that this is not just sort of a a light uh, science or a casual addressing to spiritual research and practice, but this has got some real Legs to it about how can you help people um, have a buffer against the difficulties of life,
2: and and how did you what brought you to S- SMBI?
1: <laughs> how much time do we have? Oh, okay, so so the the fairly short answer is I was a uh, trauma uh, expert, I guess you'd say, in um, and I worked for many years with very difficult populations. Uh, people with very low IQs and uh, psychiatric uh, dilemmas, almost all of them had PTSD. And actually, I wrote some of the criteria for diagnosing people with um, uh, intellectual disabilities who had PTSD. So there's books and stuff that, that, that do that. And so I was uh, pretty heavily immersed in that field and was kind of like rolling along. But then I went through my trauma and it's uh, it's like very different talking about it, researching it, helping other people through it than when you go through it and it was like, mm. oh <laughs> I I see. <laughs> ah, oh oh yeah. And and then you you know for for whatever for what it's worth I I knew all the stuff that you needed to do to get out of the space i was in and um i went and i knew all the right clinicians and the right people and all that kind of stuff and had access and uh, absolutely nothing worked absolutely nothing worked now maybe you could say well it's because you you knew, knew a lot about it so maybe there was some resistance but the bottom line is i tried everything and um i was really stuck and there's really really nothing worse than a depressed psychologist. If you're, <laughs> if, you're, if you're in the market for a psychologist, do not choose the depressed one. And, um, you, know, you know, at the time, my my best friend was sort of watching me go through this. And he says, you know, Marty Seligman's doing this new thing at uh, UPenn uh, on positive psychology. What do, you, what do you say we go? And, you know, when you're in a bad mood, you just go, nah. I I don't want anything. I'm I'm miserable. I'd like to really just nurture that misery and not do anything about it. So he didn't pay attention, uh, got us tickets. Uh, I went and I went to this uh, conference um, and it blew my mind. Uh, I was originally trained as a researcher and I was like, oh, my God, if a tenth of what they're talking about is half true, we're we're in for a renaissance here. This is going to this is going to shake things up. So I uh, applied to the program. I didn't need another degree. I was like I had enough degrees, but it was like I really want to learn this. So I went to UPenn um, and um, when I got there, I found out I was. the first psychologist and, and psychodramatist that they had led into the program. So I asked Marty, you know, how come? And he says, <laughs> well, you're not a normal psychologist. <laughs> and, and he still says that. Um, so I, I think it was because I had different disciplines. You know, I, I was doing writing and psychology, whatever. When I, when I finished the program, Marty asked me to join the, the faculty there as his assistant. So I did that. And then a couple of years um, uh, after doing that, uh, Dr. Miller, uh, who was also a student of Marty's, called him up and said, do you have any psychologists that could design a positive psych course for us? And he said, yeah, uh, recommended me. She called me up and it was, I'll I'll never forget. It was uh, uh, in December and they were talking about this thing. And uh, I said "Oh, to myself, this will be great. I can start it next September. I'll have all this time to plan the course. And she says, no, it starts in, you know, 15 days. Okay. (laughs) Uh, So I, but I did, I did Know, the material started the course. and then um the course became very popular. You know the 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 clinical program there is is very traditional uh, for, in all the right ways. Um but this was new. And so students, I think, were drawn to the idea of I don't just want to diagnose people. I, I want to learn about the other side of this. And then, uh, after a couple of years of doing that,, um, uh, Lisa uh, said uh, they they were doing a search for the academic director, and I did not apply. I, I didn't think it was something that um, I was suited for or had the ability to do. And she just called me up and said, we, we've looked at everybody. Nobody can agree on it. But they did agree that if you take the job, um, that they give it to you. And I was like, really? And uh, so I, I I tell the story. You know, everybody talks about getting a calling. My calling was a call from Lisa <laughs> Miller, <laughs> and so so that's that's how I uh, got into it. Wow, that's amazing!
2: Uh, but you talk in the positivity effect. I loved that book, by the way. Um mm, thank you, you give such a systematic approach to to changing the way your mind works and changing all of it. Like, I sort of stumbled into that when I was. Um, in my mid twenties and learned, you know, you can't, you've got to replace a negative thought. You can't just not think negatively. Um, one of the things I really liked is you talked about how our body believes our thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you said that we have choice and control over our thoughts. Can you talk just a little bit about that, about, um, how you, like when you are sort of in that stuck place, what's the first step to getting out of it? Like, what do you, what do you do?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, just to go zen on you here for for a second. We love that. <laughs> uh, no, know, knowing that you're stuck is really interesting. Just to take that as a as as a concept, because what it implies is that there's a witness, there's an awareness, there's a part of your consciousness that is not the experience. It is observing the experience. So if we if we just start there. Uh, that in and of itself is very empowering, because at the end of the day, uh, the goal for all of this transformation has to do with um, emotional regulation, right? You're, You're you're doing a emotional self regulation. And when you can witness an emotion that you do not like and do not want to have, we have three components, we have the witness part, we have the experience Part. And then we have a little something over here with a question mark on it. Uh, there must be something better. <laughs> and once you can step back and have that experience, you may not know what the something better is, but because of the feeling of dysregulation and discomfort, you're like, there's got to be something better than, than this, you know? Um, so so just the framework of that, I think, is is, is important. And then just to use a a clinical uh, term, there's something known as dialectical thinking and dialectical thinking really has to do with uh, being able to hold two truths simultaneously. So, Um, you might say to yourself, uh, you know, I'm really depressed about losing my job or I'm really depressed about this situation. But there's another truth right up alongside of that. Um, uh, But I really feel loved by my family. Uh, And and so what, what starts to happen, if you can use that witness component to recognize that, you may have intrusive rumination with repetitive negative thought that has to be countered with deliberate rumination. You need something on the other side and I, And I think one of the reasons I wrote the positivity effect is like you know so some of my friends have said, you, you know you're building a stairway to heaven, yes, one step at a time, you know it's like you know, first do this and 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 you know, having gratitude is maybe one of the lowest hanging pieces of fruit in positive psychology, because it's already taken place. So if you're having, you know, say, geez, I I lost my my job, um, but I do have savings, you know, like, in other words, you start uh, recognizing that there may be a counterbalance, and that becomes very, very dialectical. Oh, there are two truths, Yes, I have money in the bank and I've lost my job. And the witness part that can hold that, that's the part that really grows. And that's how um, uh, consciousness and our capacity for thinking really evolves through that, that thing. So I always begin with, you, you know, let's do a gratitude review of very specific things in the last 24 hours. And it gets people out of that default network of their brain. You
0: know, That's you know, it's it. in, you know interesting is that I have um, uh, my dialectic that I have become increasingly capable of of um, conjuring in the moment of a negative thought, which is I just go right to the top. I'm like, this is all still happening. At least this is all still happening, (laughs) right? It's a a fail-safe stuff. I like that. (laughs) Right? So, and it's great because it does, it does trivialize whatever was supposedly going up against it. It's Mm -hmm. like, oh, what's today's problem versus, oh, that I still exist. Um, So I find that really helpful to, and like, there are times when obviously you have to look for it, but what I... What I find really um, sort of wonderful is that it pops up now spontaneously, Yeah. Because I'd been doing it and trying to practice it. And it comes up and it's like, no, no, no. Here you go again.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think the metaphor I've used in the book is the uh, wipe on, wipe off from uh, the karate kid. Yeah. We have to learn (laughs) in the beginning all the moves, but it's really like uh, emotional memory. It's like if you don't have that in there, that going to it, going to it, going to it, uh, then when the feces hits the oscillator, uh, (laughs) you might not be prepared. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> I love um, that. You've, you've got to make your mind your friend, right? So it's like you're yeah. giving your mind a task and it, now its job is to look for the good things, the uplifting things. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah.
1: What a good you, place, know, right? you know,
0: on a, on a, on a related note, um, I came across in American Snake Pit, I came across, you quoted H.G. Wells, something I'd never heard before, and it's so great. Um, uh, beauty is in the heart of the beholder.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: right? Which, um, which reminded me, it's like, Oh yeah. Okay. So all we got to do is find the beauty everywhere. And if you can keep practicing that too, then it sort of makes all the other stuff pale in comparison. Yeah. It, uh, uh,
1: thank you. I think, I think that's, you know, often, you know, because I've, I've had, um, you know, some experience as a writer. I really love when other writers have sort of collapsed and synthesized in material. My 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 daughter is a uh, is a poet, and uh, whenever I'm working on something, I I tell her what it is. She's also been through the MAP program, so she's uh, she's an awesome Marty's assistant and stuff like that. So I'll tell her I'm working on X, Y, and Z, and she says, "Oh, you got to read Jane Hirsch. You know, you got to <laughs> here's the quote, here's the thing." And then sure enough, I I find that. Uh, Uh, Just like, you know, Freud had said that the poets have been there before us, you know, and we're we're just kind of catching up with the science. Uh, Jane Hirschfeld has this poem called Rebus, and um, uh, I'll I'll probably butcher it now, but uh, it says, As um, sugar sweetens water, adding salt grows salty, we become our choices. Each yes, each no continues. It was like, okay, stop the presses. <laughs> this is, she's she's said it all. We become our choices. Oh my goodness, mm. you know?
0: that's amazing. We um we normally end each episode after the guest is off. I go to um Sri Oribindo, uh, the Indian philosopher and poet. Um, it turns out that p- according to the thing you were just saying, whatever the topic. He's, He's got been it. been there. He's <laughs> been there. And thank God for computers, because I, um, I have the collected works of Sri Aurobindo in a PDF, right? And it's tens of thousands of pages of work. And all I got to do is go in and sort of start grazing around on the topic of the day. He said yeah. it, and he said it beautifully.
1: Right. Always. Right? It's amazing. Isn't that something? It, it yeah. really... When you talk about realized people or poets who can condense it's like, oh, my God, why didn't I think of that? (laughs) (laughs) I think of it, uh, you know, earlier on. But now I know if I'm going to try to write something, I'll I'll spend I'll spend a a large chunk of my time looking for the right quote because it's like, you know, cracking the egg. It's like, oh, everything will open up if I get the right quote. Right. Right. Totally.
2: So you, um, also in the positivity effect, you talked a little bit about, um, obsession, obsessive passion and harmonious passion, which, you know, on how to tickle yourself, we refer to as the tickle. Um, Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Just explain the difference and how to invite more harmonious passion into your life.
1: Yeah. 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 Bob uh, Valerone is the uh, lead researcher. He's at the university of Montreal and uh, also a dear friend and, um, Uh, the thing I admire about his work is that he took a concept that kind of gets thrown around a lot, but really started to nail down um, you know, how it can be applied in different ways. And, you know, Bob, Bob's no slouch. He, uh, uh, I think he's won pretty much every award that the Olympic committees have because he studies very high-end athletes, very high-end performers, studies the NBA, you know, that kind of thing. And and what he found out is that, you know, if you're going to stand on the um, uh, the medal, stage where you're going to get the the gold, the silver or the medal, you have to be passionate about what you're doing. There's no doubt about that, right? Nobody's going to get there. Um, I think he, even uh, Steve Jobs had said that, you know, the passion is going to be the drive. But there are two kinds of passion, you can have obsessive passion, or you could have harmonious passion. And this once you get inside the research and see what he's saying is, that in the obsessive passion, you have an on switch and that you're on, but the, the thing you're doing owns you. Like you're not doing it. It's doing you right. It's like that kind of thing. So you don't have that off button. You can't back away from it. Are you going to be successful? Yes. Are you going to have more injuries, more, um, Uh, sort of collateral damage, yes. He studied, uh, I I believe, the cycling team in Canada and the obsessively uh, passionate uh, athletes. When it was snowing, they'd still go out for a 100-mile ride, but they'd slip, they'd fall, they'd hurt themselves. Whereas the harmonious, passionate athletes would say, no, today's an indoor workout. I'm going to work on my oxygen capacity or, or something else. So they were able to let go of what it was that they were after in the service of something uh, more aligned with their well-being. Um, Two other quick things about that is that the harmoniously passionate people actually work a little less time on whatever it is they're doing, but they work a little bit more specifically. In other words, they hit the nail on the head a little bit more often when they're doing that, Um, whereas the obsessive folks are just grinding it out, trying to do more, and they might get there, but they're going to have some scars along the way. Um, And then the, 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 the last part about that, which this is the part that I really loved, is that the harmoniously passionate people are using their signature strengths, their top strengths, the things that they know they're really good at, and that's what helps them kind of get in that flow. Whereas the obsessively passionate people are almost always compensating. You know, they're, they're, they're doing their thing with such intensity because they're compensating for some deficiency somewhere. Mm.
2: <laughs> yeah. um, so can you tell us a little bit about, um, Rose, Thorn and Bud?
1: Yeah, I Rose, love Thorn, that. Right. <laughs> it's a, it's a law firm in Philadelphia. Uh, no, um, <laughs> That's, uh, uh, that's the only bad joke I'll tell. Th- no, I've already told two <laughs> other bad jokes. But that's the third of bad jokes. Um, uh, what I like about Rose, Thorn, and Bud is uh, for people at the at the end of the book, I talk about this because you want to talk about the good things, the, the roses in your life, like what has happened, the achievements, the accomplishments, this is really good stuff. The thorns are about the challenges, right? And we 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 don't want to just, you know, positive psychology has been accused of, although it's not true, that we want to uh, not deal with anything negative. And the truth is we just want to have a good balance. We're looking after a good balance. So the rose thorn bud gives you that sense of there's something uh, really good that's already happened or that's in the the moment of happening. It's flourishing. It's happening for you. There's a challenge that's sort of right in front of you that's a little sticky. You got to be careful with it. You have to pay attention to it in a different way. And then there's something on the horizon. There's something percolating down stream. So I I invite my classes and you know folks I work with to think about those things so that it doesn't get lopsided. Because if we're trying to, like with the pebbles and feathers, you know, pebbles being negative thoughts and feathers being positive thoughts, if we're trying to balance that out, you want to keep the pebbles off the one end of the scale, add a lot of feathers, but continually come back to a balance.
2: Mm, I love that. I'd heard of the rose and thorn and I've done that a little bit with um with Duff's daughter Marguerite. We've talked about that a bit, but I didn't know about
0: the bud. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so What's the bud to come? is the
2: hope, right? The <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. What's to come?
0: So I have awesome. a question. It comes from, I think I read this, another quote. Like you, I pick up on <laughs> the good the good ones where in other writers' work where I'm like, damn, this he got it here. So um just to preface though, I One of my ways I like to think about um, the universe or nature these days is as a perfect possibility machine, Mm. right? Mm. So if we if we leave a forest to itself and we don't go in and do human stuff, uh, it knows what to do, right? Mm. Everything does what it's supposed to do. The pot, you know, the leaves fall, the mushrooms sprout, the animal eats the this that. All the possibilities that are sort of it's pregnant with generally come to pass. You know, there'll be big waves of change forever, but nature is sort of structured to take advantage of its own possibilities. Right. We, we are too, but we get in the way of our own possibilities. Yes. We are possibility machines within the possibility machine. And mm-hmm. so um, y- you had this quote from William James. Uh, where he said, if any organism fails to fulfill its potentialities, it becomes sick. And to me, it's only dawned on me recently that um, both our physical and or mental um, sicknesses that we, can, that we can have can, can both derive from a, um, uh, a sense of failed potential Mm-hmm. Right. Or, or failure to capitalize on one's opportunities because you're either acting in a way that isn't in your nature or you're stifling something you shouldn't. Um, can you talk about that for, for a bit, like from a psychological perspective, like the way I read it is if you if you don't if you aren't present enough to take advantage of um, the possibilities that the universe offers to you your organism is going to move into some kind of failure because you're not
1: um in the dance of life with everything. Yeah. Is that what yeah. that means? Yeah, I I I think that that is certainly a large component of it. Um but, my experience has been to add another feature to that, which is um, can we remove the obstacles that may be limiting that potentiality, right? Because there's, there's what's there. And then there's also what the obstacles are. So sometimes those obstacles our um, our own uh, hurdles, the our own things that we're kind of thrown in the way, and or we're not seeing it properly, or that kind of thing. But uh, just to you know, go back to it for a second. In American snake pit, at that point in time, you're talking about the early '70s, late '60s, early '70s. Um, here were people that were called incurable, right? And they were called they were called that, right? And um, so they didn't. Provide any resources at all, and I'll I'll spare you the whole the, the whole shebang about that. But at the end of the day, it was about the institutions and the way they were treating the people were blocking their potentiality. So they were be, they may have not had a good start, but they were becoming sicker and more violent and more difficult because that their potentialities weren't able to be expressed. And when we had this highly experimental uh, group of uh, really a ha- just a handful of people in the community, it was about removing those obstacles, not necessarily doing something to give them more of what they had naturally, but taking away the obstacles that were limited them. So I think there's both parts, right? There's there's what we can do for others and with others in order to remove the obstacles that may be limiting their inherent or natural talents. And then there's what we need to acknowledge inside ourselves that's already there that needs to find the right expression.
2: Wow. It's like the Rumi quote where uh, he talks about, we don't have to seek love. We just have to sort of Dust away the things that are blocking it, right? Absolutely. It's already there. Yeah, it's already there.
1: Yep.
0: You know, I would like to nominate myself as a case study (laughs) in positive psychology. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This just occurred to me. Um, For a lot of my career, I wrote about business and it was increasingly critical. Um, My last main business book was called The Golden Passport. It was about Harvard Business School. And it was 600 pages of seething righteousness, moral righteousness. And um, at the end of it, I was a little sick myself from the, from the effort. And then um, during quarantine, when I was about to start another book, as you know from the talk uh, I gave at um, SMBI, I suddenly realized, I was like, oh, wait i'm gonna write a book about the things that make me happy, and mm. tickled right. was the result and the It was the easiest book I've ever written. It was the best book I've ever written. It opened up all sorts of insights, just sort of being in that state rather than uh writing in anger about someone else's you know actions right. and um uh To your point, it's not that I am sitting here sort of blithely ignoring things that need to be addressed in my life at any particular point in time, but switching my focus from being a critic to being a celebrator of things that tickle, everything went up, like my whole life turned upside down in a good way. You're putting the emphasis
1: on the other syllable. On the right (laughs) syllable. My father used to say that. I uh, so the nomination has been accepted and you have won the award. Well done, well done. No, and like it's sort of startling
0: too because I sit there and I look at it and I go, "Wow, what took so long? What took me so long to realize that writing in anger might not be good for my mood? Yeah, right. Or or that there might be a better product, like a better." quality of thought come out of me if I happen to be thinking happy thoughts yeah. while I'm writing. Right. Um, but you know, liberation is at hand. Oh, okay. I got another one here. Um, in Learned Hopefulness, um, you cite uh, Albert Ellis, and he was referring to something that they call masturbation.
1: Masturbation. Uh, which is,
0: you know, I must do this. I should do this. You're talking about how we tie ourselves up by thinking that we, there are things that we should do. So it's sort of self-criticism. And in Tickled, uh, my friend Chris Wink, I was talking about how we're, we're quant happy uh, these days as society becomes overly quantified. And he came up with Statsurbation. <laughs> he goes, we're, we're living in a time of statservation where all we want is stats. Give me some stats and I'll, you know, do that thing. Uh, so this it's is funny. Where- both are, both are tricks of the mind, right? Yeah. Both are your mind, um, um, basically focusing you on some things that aren't really real and, yeah. and yeah. distracting you and obsessing you.
1: My my comic mind would have said after Statsubation and Masturbation that I have to hand it to you, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm just not going to do that. I I won't, I won't do it. Thank you. Thank you for sparing us.
2: (laughs) So um, we have uh, been asking our guests recently if they can tell us what is currently tickling them. So what are two things in your life that are giving you that sort of joy of existence?
1: what what a, what a great question I, I well i'm gonna I'm gonna um really capitalize on who I'm talking to and <laughs> your story because you know your authenticity in coming and talking to us was palpable. I mean I you know I could I could feel your journey if that's if that's even if possible, I could feel it as you were talking about it because it was so authentic, and that when you started talking about um, uh, tickle and how you wrote it, and how it was such a such a divergence from what you were used to, and that it sort of flowed out of you. Well, uh, academic writing will destroy your brain. (laughs) There's no two ways about it. You get, uh, you know, you can't have uh, a a thought without it being APA style referenced. So um, I have been leaning into writing, writing. Writing my next book, and I uh, these last two books are very well documented. You know the learned hopefulness and and the positivity effect, because that's the way you have to approach it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the style of writing this next book uh, was r- really I wanted to let my creative writing process out. You know, I've I've been, been trained in uh, writing, screenwriting, all this, and and I uh, I've had. Backlogs of stories, so uh, but I haven't flushed them out. I I just so I decided to do this this new book in just telling the stories and leave all the science for the end. Um, uh, and uh, so that I have the stories that I want to tell, but it's such a different writing process. So what's mm-hmm. been tickling me is I can't wait now, you know, before before I love writing in general, but it's like, oh, I have to look up 300 references for this paragraph, you know, this kind of thing. But now it's like, oh, these stories, I can't wait uh, to, to write them. And then I'm laughing as I'm writing, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like, it's like, isn't that the way it should be? And then later on, I'll I'll come back and I'll 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 show the principles, the spiritual principles, positive psychology principles that have all the research. But I was going to try to weave the research in there. But after listening to you, it's like no, let me get tickled (laughs) first. So that's
0: you know what what that's so awesome. So in in (laughs) the Golden Passport, the Harvard book, I think there are a thousand footnotes. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, when I was starting to write tickled and realized that it was going to be much more of a memoir sort of a personal thing. I had exactly the same um uh instinct as you I was like I don't need to cite anyone else on the point that I'm about to make here. I can make this point. So so tickled has about 60 footnotes overall and maybe 50 of them are J.K. Rowling. They're all from Harry <laughs> Potter. Because, because sa- same point as we made earlier, if you want to make a point about life, J.K. Rowling has a good quote about it <laughs> yeah, somewhere sure. in the Harry Potter stories. No, I highly endorse that decision because it's freeing. And um, uh, at least for me, the my ability to... If you're not... Um, Sort of like when you're trying to tell a story, if you're not shifting in and out and saying, "Here's what someone else said about this," like that is a, um, it's like a start-stop, even though it looks like the paragraph's one stream of stuff. If you Mm -hmm. can keep it in the in the in your own voice, Mm -hmm. uh, you can't help but have more impact.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's so, so true. And I, you know, I think I've been building towards this point. And, uh, you know, the people that I uh, uh, trust who are writers, and, you know, I'll, I'll show them two versions of it. And they they're like, part way through the first version that's got all the academic references and they're like, yeah, no, you're going to have to do that over again. You know? <laughs> and then, and then I, I show them the other part and they go, just, just, just keep doing that, you know? So <laughs> that's been very liberating. And again, I think you're, you know, like I said, um, I was leaning that di- direction. So you, you push, push me over the top in a good way. Wow. That's, <laughs> that's great to the, hear. That's great it's to the hear.
2: tickle, the tickle ripple. Tickle it's the ripple. tickle ripple.
1: There we go. There we go. Let's get shirts with that on it. Right, oh, tickle man. ripple. <laughs> on
0: on on which note? Or wait, do you have a second tickle for us?
1: Oh. Uh, for for me. Yeah. Uh, the, the other well, the other thing is that um, I am built like a fire hydrant. I do not. Um, <laughs> bend or stretch, I've done, you know, I cycle, I run, I do all these things, but I do not stretch before, after, during, or at all. And um, now I have realized that I need yoga and I have uh, tried yoga several times and it has always been a disaster because I do one uh, downward facing dog and I get so much energy. I can't sleep for a month. It's like (laughs) ridiculous. Whatever I, I went to, uh, I'm on the staff at Cricolo for teaching stuff up there, but for positive psych. And I said, I'll, I'll join the faculty, but I need a consult. And they said, yeah, you got a lot of that energy already. You know, <laughs> you have to just imagine the positions. So for years <laughs> I've done that. Um, but now I'm doing the um, restorative, or I guess they call it yin yoga. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. You know, it's sort of like I am a tense little, dude, you know, <laughs> and, and uh, but now I've been doing it since January. I love it. It's like, oh, I can't wait to write and I can't wait to go to yoga class. You know? <laughs> but, but my yoga instructor's got this great thing where, you know, I can follow about two thirds of it. And then she says, now wrap the strap around your left foot. And slowly pull it up to the back of your head. I just, burst out, I just burst out laughing you know Or just listen.
2: Think about it. Think about pulling your foot up to your head.
0: All right, so so we mentioned uh, Joey, you mentioned the ripple effect of the tickle. Um, it brings me to how I want to close out here. I want to read a little thing from. Uh, the end of Dan's book, American snake pit, uh, as he said, it does end on a high note. Um, and, uh, uh, it's slightly edited just so it makes sense to the listener here, but this one's for you, Joey, uh, because it's kind of, um, just sounds like you. Um, so Dan says at the end, he says, there's one character strength in particular that will always help. The kindness you show to others helps them, helps you, and helps anyone who is witness to it. Kindness creates a strong ripple effect. (laughs) Finding a way to be kind has real value. It is the fastest way to bring you out of your negative mood and the most direct way of helping someone else.
1: Amen. Amen to that.
0: (laughs) Thank you for joining us, Dan.
1: It's been a thrill. This was wonderful. Thank you so much for inviting me. Such a treat, a real treat. Thank you. Can't wait to see you soon. Cheers.
2: Oh, he's such a sweetheart. I love him. (laughs) So much fun.
0: Yeah, we went down to SMBI because we knew Lisa Miller um, who invited us. Uh, but, um, we met Dan while we were there and it was clear, uh, as day, um, in the short time we, we spoke to him and stuff that we should have him on the show. His books are great. Um, you know, he's trying to point the way to a, a better way to be, Um uh, yeah. pretty much in everything he does.
2: I wish I'd had it 25 years ago. Like I, you know, <laughs> I sort of stumbled through it. It took me a little while to get my stride, but like everything he was talking about, the positivity effect, I sort of um, well, my angel mom introduced the idea to me first and then I, you know, started practicing, like making a sincere effort to get a hold of my thoughts.
0: I didn't I didn't admit there that I used to poo-poo positive psychology. I thought it was nonsense. <laughs> um
2: it's okay. I believe it. So
0: <laughs> that, uh, that you that I thought I thought that the idea that you could just change your thoughts and change your reality was not the case, and I was too focused on externals, right, and thinking mm. that the external world existed separately from you. And um, you know, the fact is, uh, it doesn't. Right. It's it's all one thing.
2: Well, the first time I'd heard about it, our meditation teacher, he's like, you know, you might have free will. He's like, I can change a thought. <laughs> that's all I can do. So I was like, if all he can do is change a thought, that's probably all I can do. So I was like, I'm gonna give this a shot. It worked. It took me a little while, but you know, settled in.
0: So um on on a similar note, related note, so you know, the The yogic idea of the ego is sort of who we think we are, which is um, taking a lot of credit for some actions, taking blame for other things. It's the source of suffering where we feel responsible for the things that happen to us. And um, I was reading this guy Sri Atmananda last week, and he had this great line where he said, the ego is a child born of no mother the ego is a bachelor who dreams that he married the body and senses. <laughs> you are always groaning under his weight. <laughs> and the point he's really making there is that, uh, a child born of no mother actually can't exist, right? Uh, the bachelor dreams that he married the body and senses. It's, uh, he's still a bachelor. Um, the ego isn't real. Um, or a better way to say that is that it's it's all it's all our thoughts. Mm-hmm. So the idea that you can't change um, things for yourself by rearchitecting your thoughts, right, is not really true because it's it's pretty much all that your experience in you know in the manifestation is. It's a set of thoughts about what you think is happening and who you think you are, That's and. A- Daylan I love Thomas Eckhart Tolle's. Too. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, like Dan Dan's books, his two books, Positivity Effect and Learned Hopefulness, are about re-architecting that. It's great. Yep.
2: Yeah, he was great. Uh, he, you know, we're talking about the witness sort of part of us that once you can get some distance between an emotion and that part watching you, it's a game changer. And Eckhart Tolle talks about that and had a pretty profound impact on me and being able to see my ego and watch it in action and, uh, know that I'm more than that, right? That I'm, it's not just the story. I mean, it's a great story. It's fun, (laughs) but it's very distracting. So it was great for helping me.
0: My story gets better, has gets, just keeps getting better. (laughs) Right. Not only the ones I write, but the, the one I'm living, it turns out you can, you can get better at, at telling your own story. So on which note, and, you know, I mentioned Oriabindo earlier, we don't have an Oriabindo this week because I got obsessed with this guy, Sri Atmananda, uh, who was, um, one of the great Vedantic thinkers of the 20th century. And he makes a point, and this is, this is part and parcel of what Dan's talking about. Um, in terms of positive thinking and positive psychology, um, in, um, so, in one of his bu- in books of his spiritual discourses, he makes a list of um, what he calls the nearest and immediate expressions of the absolute. Now, in the Bhagavad Gita, uh, Lord Krishna says to Arjuna, He says, I'm everything. But if you want specific examples of me, uh, I can give you a list. And he basically gives a list of. Um, the greatest of all sorts of things. You know, the highest mountain, the the most beautiful river, the strongest god, the whatever. So, um, Atmananda makes a list here of nearest and immediate expressions of the absolute. And he says, don't mistake any of these for the self, but you can certainly see me, the absolute, through any of these expressions of myself. So, it's the same point Krishna is making in the Gita. Number one, light and joy. Number two, love and power. Three, splendor and majesty. Four, beauty and goodness. I don't know why I'm reading the numbers here. (laughs) Harmony and peace. Rich and full. Grand and noble. Pure and innocent. Calm and serene. Sweet and soft cheerful and happy. These are the nearest and immediate expressions of the absolute. Don't mistake them for the self, but you can certainly see the absolute through any of them. There's your list. It's the 10 things you need to remember.
2: Or just be, just be those things. Be those things. (laughs)
0: Everything from light and joy all the way to sweet and soft and cheerful and happy. Wait, you already are all those things.
2: (laughs) I'm the nearest thing. (laughs)
0: Thank you for listening. We'll be back with you in a week.
2: (laughs) Thank you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to How to Tickle Yourself with your host, Duff McDonald, and me, Joey of Rockledge. You can help us by liking, subscribing, and sharing this podcast with others. You can talk to us and see what else is happening on Instagram and Facebook at How to Tickle Yourself. This program was recorded in Studio B of the historic Rockledge Recording Studio. Right here, right now, our original 16-part theme music was written and recorded by the legendary Paul Reddick and Kyle Ferguson of The Sidemen, with Steve Mariner on bass and drums and in the mixing room. This podcast is produced and distributed by Storic Media. Our editor is Oscar Desiderio. Our producers are Kristen Verbitsky and Chuck Babella. For more information, visit storicmedia.com. That's S-T-O-R-I-C media.com.